Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons on the book of Revelation, and I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 9 as we read the verses 1 through 20. Let us hear the word of God. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torments of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, the invasion of Normandy on June the 6th, 1944, was the largest naval, air, and land operation in history. Within a few days, about 326,000 soldiers more than 50,000 vehicles and some 100,000 tons of equipment had landed on the beaches of Normandy, France. By August 1944, all of northern France had been liberated. One year later, the Allies defeated the Germans. And for that reason, historians often refer to this day as the beginning of the end of World War II. Now, though impressive, this invasion is nothing compared to the invasion described in our text. Only this invasion is not an invasion of soldiers. It is an invasion of demons from the very pit of hell itself. Last week, we reflected on the blasting of the first four trumpets. The first trumpet affected the grass and the trees. Hail and fire mingled with blood were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees and green grass were burned up. 
The second trumpet affected the seas and oceans. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third trumpet affected the lakes and rivers. A great star, we are told, fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of the water, causing them to become bitter, resulting in the death of many. The fourth trumpet affected the sun, moon, and stars. A third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. But as terrible as these judgments were, they are nothing compared to the three judgments that follow. The angel says as much in verse 13. There John tells us that after the sounding of the fourth trumpet, John saw an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Well, today, with God's help, we want to consider the first of these trumpets, the fifth trumpet. And as we'll see, this trumpet will unleash a most terrifying and horrifying judgment. A horde of locusts from the bottomless pit. And it's to this subject that we now turn our attention. We're going to look at these verses under the theme, the unleashing of the locusts from the bottomless pit. And we'll consider, first of all, their limited but horrifying objective and secondly, their supreme authority. As the angel in our text finished pronouncing his woes on the inhabitants of the earth, John hears the sound of the fifth trumpet. And as he does, he says he saw a star. Now, what is this star? Well, it's not an actual star, like the star Wormwood in chapter 8, verse 10. And we know that because in the following verses, this star is referred to as he. So this is a living creature, but who is it? Well, we receive a clue in verse 1. And there we are told that this star fell from heaven to earth. And the fact that it was in heaven suggests that the star was an angel, since angels dwell in heaven. And the fact that it fell suggests that this angel was none other than Satan himself. Now, originally, Satan was a mighty angel, perhaps one of the archangels of God. But he rebelled against God, along with a vast multitude of other angels, probably because he wanted to be like God, and he sought to topple God from his throne. And as a result, he and his fellow conspirators were cast out of heaven. This is clear from Isaiah chapter 12. Many commentators believe that what we have in Isaiah 12 is a record of what God said to Satan after he rebelled against it. And there Isaiah quotes God as saying this, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. But God said in response, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. And that same thought is expressed in Isaiah 14. 
There in verses 1 to 11, Isaiah predicts the downfall of the king of Babylon. And he then goes on to compare this to the downfall of Satan. And he writes in verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Now Lucifer is a proper name for Satan. It's like his other name, Beelzebub. Isaiah here is saying that the king of Babylon will fall just like Satan fell from heaven. Now that's confirmed in the New Testament. You may remember the account when after the seven disciples reported to Jesus of all the things that they had done, that even the demons obeyed them, Jesus said this. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now it's likely our Lord here was referring to this event that took place many years before. The fact that his disciples were casting out demons is history repeating itself. It was like Satan was being cast out of heaven all over again. And so it's clear then that this star is a reference to Satan. He's like a star because originally he was an angel of light who dwelt in heaven, but now he is an angel of darkness cast down to earth. Now to Satan, John says, was given the key to the bottomless pit. The Greek word used here is abusos, from which we get the English word abyss. The word abyss can sometimes refer to the abode of the dead. But in Revelation, it usually refers to a place where demons are kept, incarcerated, like a prison house for demons. We first read of the abyss in Luke chapter 8, verse 31. And there we have the well-known account of Jesus casting out the legion of angels from the demon-possessed man at Gadara. You may remember how before Jesus cast out these demons, the demons begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, why did they not want to go into the abyss? Well, possibly because it is a place of such terrible torment that they could not bear to go there. But more likely, it's because then they would not be free to roam the earth. They would be incarcerated. And so from this, we deduce that God, at his own discretion, has chosen through history to incarcerate certain demons. Now, that's confirmed by at least two passages of Scripture. In 2 Peter 2, verse 4, Peter says that God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now Jude says something similar. He writes that the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their abode, God has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So in both verses, God is said to have reserved fallen angels for judgment. Now, why God chose to incarcerate some demons and allow others to roam free, we do not know. It may be because the demons in the abyss are particularly evil. Whatever the case, God here gives to Satan the key to open this bottomless pit and to let them out. Someone compared the unleashing of these demons to the warden of a maximum security prison, releasing all of the most hardened criminals, murderers and thieves and rapists, allowing them to go free and to wreak havoc 
in society. Well, this is kind of what's happening here. Only these demons are even more evil and possess supernatural powers. Well, as they came out, John tells us that smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun, he says, and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Now, there's something fitting about that. With evil demons comes black smoke. William Henderson, a commentator, suggests this smoke is a metaphor for, and I quote, the deception and delusion of sin and sorrow, of moral darkness and degradation that is constantly belching up out of hell. So thick and murky is that smoke, he writes, that it blots out the light of the sun and darkens the air. Well, as this smoke fills the air, John says that he saw locusts come upon the earth. Now, locusts are like our grasshoppers, but they're much bigger. And they're voracious eaters. They swoop onto fields of ripening grain in great swarms, and within minutes devour absolutely everything in sight. These locusts remind us of the plague of locusts which God sent on the land of Egypt during the days of Moses. They also remind us of what we find in Joel chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, where Joel uses an actual plague of locusts in the land of Israel as a foreshadowing of an army coming against them in judgment. But the locusts in our text passage are not real locusts. They are representations of demons. They're compared to locusts because there are so many of them and because they are so hugely destructive. They also had a very frightening and revealing appearance. Notice what John says about them. He says their shape was like horses prepared for battle, implying that they're hostile and intent on causing destruction. He says, too, that on their heads were crowns of something like gold, implying sovereignty and victory. He says, too, that their faces were like the faces of men, implying they possessed intelligence. They also had hair like women's hair, implying that they were seductive. Their teeth were like lion's teeth, implying viciousness. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, implying invincibility. The sound of their wings, he says, was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle, implying great military strength. But perhaps the most significant thing about these locusts was the fact that they had tails like scorpions, implying that they had the ability to cause great harm, pain, and suffering. Now, to these locusts was given a horrifying yet limited objective. We read of that in verses 4 and 5. John writes, They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And he says their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. You notice three limitations here. First of all, the locusts were not permitted to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing. And that implies that this trumpet will blow considerably later than the first trumpet, which resulted in the destruction of the earth's vegetation. So clearly, by this time, the vegetation had grown back. 
Secondly, the locusts were not permitted to harm all men, only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, they were permitted to attack only unbelievers. Thirdly, the locusts were not permitted to kill those who were not sealed, only to torment them, and then only for a period of five months, which is the average lifespan for a locust. Now, what is more, this torment will be excruciating. John says it will be like being stung by a scorpion, which apparently is one of the most painful stings you can ever experience. And it will be so painful, in fact, that these people will want to die, but they won't be able to die. In verse 6, John says, In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. Now, when all of this will take place, we don't know. But if we are at all aware of what is going on in the world today, we may say that it has already happened, or at least it's begun to happen. We are already now living in the day of the fifth trumpet. But as difficult as it may be for us to imagine, this is only the beginning. Things will only get worse from here on in. Slowly but surely, the world will be filled with utter hopelessness and despair. There's a song from the musical Les Miserables that goes like this. I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. But the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. It's hard to live without hope. But that's precisely what so many people in our world are doing today. They've been stung by the scorpion's tail, resulting in a life of utter hopelessness and despair. But we who are believers in Christ Jesus have nothing to fear from these diabolical monsters. Why not? Because we have been sealed. And as we observe, the locusts only attack those who are not sealed. Now, that doesn't mean we can ignore them. No, we must defend ourselves. How do we do that? Well, we do that by putting on the full armor of God. Paul speaks of that in Ephesians chapter 6. Thereafter declaring that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, Paul says this. He says, therefore, in other words, in light of this, in light of this great spiritual battle that's going on all around us, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, what is the armor of God? Well, Paul goes on to tell us. There he speaks of the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. 
And I don't have time to explain each of these pieces of armor in detail right now, but suffice it to say that God has given his people armor to protect themselves against the attacks of diabolical powers. And it's our duty and responsibility to be careful to put this armor on every day and to fight in the power of the Lord. And so we see how important it is to be sealed. Let me ask you, are you sealed? If not, you're in great danger. You are vulnerable to attack. Now, the only way to avoid these attacks is to be sealed. You say, well, how can I be sealed? Well, you must repent of your sins, and you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must embrace him and submit to him as your Lord and Master and King. And when you do that, then he will seal you. He'll seal you with his blood and with his Holy Spirit. And once you are sealed, you have nothing to fear from the marauding hordes of demons, for the Lord will never allow any demon to destroy those whom he has sealed. So this demonic horde has a horrifying but limited objective, but it also has a supreme authority. That brings us briefly to our second point. John tells us that like every swarm of locusts, This swarm has a leader. And he's described for us in verse 11. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon, which means destroyer. That tells us that the leader is the devil himself. But as powerful as he is, the devil is not the ultimate authority. Who is? It is God. And we are reminded of that several times in this very chapter. In verse 1, we are told that a star, that is Satan, fell from heaven. The idea is that he was cast out of heaven. Well, who was the one who cast him out? It was God. And then we are told that to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Well, who gave him the key? It was God. Then in verse 3, we are told that to the locusts was given power. Who gave them power? It was God. Then in verse 4, we're told that they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads, and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Well, again, who gave them this command? And who gave them this authority? It was God. Do you see the point? The demons, although they are very strong, are not all-powerful. They are subject to God. Nor can they do as they please. They can only do what God allows them to do. And that stands to reason, doesn't it? Because, after all, God is the supreme authority in heaven and on earth. And that means that all creatures, including the angels and the demons and Satan himself, are subject to him and are obligated to perform his bidding. Don't we see that in the ministry, the public ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Throughout his earthly ministry, we are told that our Lord regularly cast out 
demons. In Mark 3, verses 11 and 12, we read that whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, saying, You are the Son of God! But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And when the demon-possessed man of Gadara came to Jesus, Jesus commanded the demons to come out of him, even though they were many. And they did, because they had no choice. And then they begged him not to send them out of the country, but to allow them to enter into the pigs. And he did. They wouldn't have been able to do that had the Lord not given him the permission to do it. The point is the demons are subject to Christ. Why? Not only because he is God, but also because he suffered and died and rose again. This is why in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul could write that, he, that by virtue of his death and resurrection, Christ disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And in 1 Peter 3, verse 21 and 22, the Apostle Peter writes that having completed the work that his Father had given him to do, Christ has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having made, been made subject to him. And therefore, although demons are powerful, and although they will become even more powerful the closer we come to the second coming of Christ, we who are in Christ have nothing to fear. They are a conquered enemy. They can do nothing apart from his will. And I'm reminded in this connection of Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It goes like this. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe, his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing, were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The locusts may come. They're here already. But as long as we are in Christ, they can do us no harm. For we are sealed by his blood and spirit and we who are united to him by faith one day shall rejoice and shout in victory for Christ is our king and we shall live and reign with him forever amen dear friends it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station if you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. 
Would you please take the time to write us a short note? Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. And that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. And when you write, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Pronk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, otherwise known as the five points of Calvinism. We hope it may be a rich blessing to you and your family. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.